At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. Well, I just wanted to start by introducing uh, my family a little bit. Uh, so again, my name is Caleb Jones, and I think there's a picture, yes, uh, of my family up there. Um, my wife, Erin, you probably would recognize her singing on Sunday mornings from time to time. She also uh, hosts as well here at Woodside Lapeer. Uh, we've been married for 12 years. July 19th, we passed 12 years. Praise God uh, that we have made it 12 years. If you are uh, married here today, you will understand my hesitation to say I can't believe we made it 12 years. Just those first Five to seven to eleven years. We've been we've been happily married for the last year. Praise God, and uh, uh, but we have a, a, a son, Max. He is uh, six years old. He actually was born the day before our anniversary. Uh, so we have for the last six years never celebrated our anniversary uh, until like a month later, as we try to do our best to celebrate his birthday. We have two fur babies as my wife likes to call them, Darcy, who is the Airedale in the picture. She is eight or nine years old. We, we argue about this about every year because we're not really sure how old that dog is. Um, but then we have Bertie, who is a, a Bernice mountain dog mixed with a poodle, and she's around three. We don't really celebrate their birthdays. So uh, she's around three years old. Uh, and as CT said, we do have uh, another uh, son on the way which we are very excited about. He's been knocking on the door for the past few weeks, just eager to meet us. We're eager to meet him. We thought we were going to meet him last night, and uh, we did not. And so God has uh, a plan. He is due September 7th. But if you would, just pray for Aaron and pray for uh, baby brother, as Max loves to call him. I hope he never stops calling him baby brother. Um, I was the baby brother, and... Uh, I was six years younger, and my brother uh, tormented me for most of my life. So I hope that that relationship uh, stays intact. Um, but just thankful to be here with you guys. You know, uh, my, my transition over the past 10 years within Woodside, uh, I never would have thought that I would be uh, here leading worship, here preaching and serving along you guys, uh, alongside you guys. And uh, my family is just very eager to be here. We live in Lapeer County, and so we're very excited uh, to minister uh, with and uh, alongside you guys. Um, as many of you guys know, over the past three weeks, we've been diving into our current sermon series, Assembly Required. Throughout this series, we're looking at different aspects of corporate worship, different things he calls us to do when we assemble each week. In order to work through this series, we're looking uh, at an individual psalm um, tied to the aspect of worship. The first week, we looked at Psalm 1 and the importance of God's word. Last week, week two, we looked at Psalm 51 and the importance of confession, and today we're looking at Psalm 145 and the importance of singing in corporate worship. This is an exciting one for me. As I get to lead worship on a regular basis, uh, we're looking at the importance of singing in corporate worship. Before I read this text, if you'll allow me uh, just to pray for us and ask for a blessing um, on the preaching of God's word today. God, uh, Heavenly Father, we just come before you as a church body, as a family, asking for your grace, 
asking that your spirit would fill us this morning. We're so thankful uh, for the gift of Jesus that you sent to us. And I just pray that um, through all of these things that we know that you have given to us, that from our hearts, no matter what is going on in our lives, that our hearts would be able to sing your praise this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to Psalm 145. The book of Psalms is it's in the middle of your Bible. If you open it right to the middle, you'll find the book of Psalms, chapter 145. Psalm 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. There's a lot of S's right there. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Well, somewhere around 62 AD, two of the most influential missionaries of the early church were traveling from city to city. A man named Paul and his partner in the gospel, Silas. One night, Paul had a vision while he was sleeping about a man urging him to come to Macedonia and help them. Macedonia is another city in the area. So immediately, they go to Macedonia knowing that this vision uh, is from God for them to go and preach the gospel. So Paul and Silas leave where they were, and they take a direct voyage to Macedonia. One day they were near a river and end up sharing, ended up sharing the gospel with a woman named Lydia. This is where Lydia is converted. Another uh, lady they meet here on the same riverside situation has a demon inside of her. And she follows them for days, 
that Paul, I love this text, and I don't know if I've ever caught it really growing up. Um, she follows them for days to the point that Paul gets annoyed. Now, I know that we would never get annoyed in ministry, uh, ministering to people whatsoever. We would never get annoyed with neighbors. We would never get annoyed uh, with family members. But Paul does. He gets annoyed, and he turns to the Spirit, and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Have you ever been annoyed with someone that you actually cast a demon out of them? And I know probably for many moms in the room, You've maybe attempted this miracle, or at the uh, very minimum, you've prayed for this anointing to be able to cast demons out, uh, depending on what restaurant you are in with your child. So think about it. Think about the power through which God is working through Paul and Silas. When this last piece happened, when they actually cast this demon uh, out of this woman, uh, the people see this, and uh, they start attacking Paul and Silas. They tear their clothes, they beat them with rods, and after they beat them almost to death, they put them in prison and fasten their feet to the stocks. So let's look at this picture again. Paul and Silas are obeying every command that God has for them. They're witnessing to people, they're baptizing people, they're discipling people only to get captured, beat to a pulp, stripped naked, and thrown in jail. Now here's the question for us today. How would you respond? How would you respond if you're Paul and Silas to circumstances like this? You've done everything God's asked you to do, and now these extreme difficulties come into your life, how do you respond? How did Paul and Silas respond? Let's look at it. So they're in a dungeon, they're in shackles, and here's what we learn next. This is Acts 16.25. That's about midnight. Paul and Silas are in prison, and they're praying and singing hymns to God. These two men are an amazing example of what we're looking at here in Psalm 145. In every season, every day, God is to be praised. It's not a Sunday chore. It's not an action we only do when we get to church. Whatever comes into our lives, God is to be praised. And like them, when you're having an amazing success in ministry or whether you're having amazing success in business or just having amazing success in life in general or whether... You're chained up in a dungeon. Psalm 145 teaches us that in every season, every day, God is to be praised. We see this in verse, verses one and two. Let's look at what the psalmist says, verses one and two. I will extol you or exalt you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day, not just Sunday, not just the day that I, that I have great days, Every day I will bless you and praise your name. Again, he says, forever and ever. It's not conditional for him. It's not a situational prayer. It's not even a promise that if God does something for him, that he'll give God praise. It's a proclamation that his default mode will always be to worship God. 
And as we look at Psalm 145, we're gonna ask two questions to help us flesh out what the psalmist is teaching us. First question, what happens when we praise God? What happens when we praise God? Let's look at verses 19 and 20. Verse 19, the Lord hears their cry and say it together, saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So the Lord responds to their praise, uh, to the praise of his people by saving them and preserving them. Looking back at the story of Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're praying and they're singing hymns, and how did God respond to them? So we know how Paul and Silas respond to God in their circumstances, but how does God respond to Paul and Silas? It next says that there was a great earthquake and the foundation of the prison shook. Instantly, the doors of the prison were opened and their bonds were unfastened. See, that's how the Lord responds to their praise. In the middle of their trials, they break out into prayer and singing hymns and the Lord responds with an earthquake and releasing them of their chains. Have you ever praised God in the middle of your trial? It's not the easiest. I can tell you that myself. Not in the end when life is back to normal. Not in the end when he restores you. Not in the end when he heals your sickness. Not in the end when he opens your business back up. Not in the end when you finally get a job. Not in the end when your kids are back to school, although we've been praying for that one. But right when it seems like it can't get any worse in your life and you're at the bottom, you raise a hallelujah and you lift praise to the Lord. If you're here last Sunday, we sang a song that says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. God, you never stop. You never stop working. I love these words. They posture our hearts to say that, God, your ways are beyond what my eyes can see. They go beyond what my feelings feel. His ways, they're higher than ours. And when we sing through our trials and we praise him, we're actually saying that God is good regardless of my situation. So what happens when we praise God? What do we say? God saves us and he preserves us. Not only that, he saves and he preserves others. Scripture tells us that it wasn't just Paul and Silas's bonds that were unfastened. It says that it happened to everyone, everyone in the jail. You're all free. After the earthquake, the jailer woke up, he drew his sword and was about to take his own life because he thought the prisoners had escaped. What dark place do you think this man was in that he's about to take his own life? Because in that time, if a jailer is caught sleeping on the job, they would kill him. And wouldn't you have run if you're Paul? 
After everything Paul's been through, he's been through everything. Isn't this the time for Paul to get out of, jo- to, to get out of Dodge? I mean, he's, his, his bonds are unfastened. There's a huge earthquake. Everyone's free to go. What do you think's gonna happen? Freedom! Like Braveheart. But in Acts 16, verse 28, Paul cries out, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer ran in, and while he was trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. You remember what he said? He asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? So Paul and Silas' praise not only physically saved this man, right when this man is at the end of his life, he's about to give up, but it also spiritually saved this man's life. You see, our praise has the power to remove shackles in other people's lives. Amen? It has the ability to save other people's lives. It doesn't just impact, praise and singing doesn't just impact my life, it impacts the lives around me. It impacts the lives around you. Friends, how does this change how we sing? Let's sing with passion. Let's sing with confidence. Let's sing with purpose. Because God responds to our praise with salvation. He not only saves and preserves our lives, but those of the lives around us. And if you look closer to Psalm 145, there's a specific group who are impacted by our praises, our children. Before we look at that, you know, the more that I've studied this, this passage in Acts, the more I wonder what Paul is actually saying to the jailer. And I don't want to put words into scripture by any means. Um, But as Paul says, uh, for, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. My mind just naturally goes, and I just keep chewing on this, for we are all here for you. And I know, I know it doesn't say this in the text, and again, I don't want to add to Scripture, but I wonder if this is the posture of Paul. Don't harm yourself, for we are all here for you. And I wonder as we come into this church building each and every week, how often does Caleb Jones come in because I need a savior? I can tell you that happens every week. I come in here because I need grace extended to me from the Lord. I need to receive that. I need to receive his peace. I need to receive his holiness. I need to receive every gift that he has to give to me. I can tell you that's true for me. But I wonder how often we walk through life, coming into church or just to our neighbors or going into work, wondering if we can live for other people if we can be there for them. That as we come into this church building, we don't just sing because I'm at the bottom about to take my own life. I come in here to sing because there could be somebody next to me who could be in those shoes. And man, I just love the story because it's so rich on how our praises are extended to others who need to hear the praises of God who don't feel that God is good, who don't feel that God is holy, who don't feel like God is giving them peace. And so I just love this passage and, uh, and wonder how much more can we come into this room 
with the opportunity to sing to God, but also to bless the people around us. Let's look back to our text at verse 4. As I said, there's a specific group who are impacted by our praises. That's our children. Verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So the psalmist is saying that the works of the Lord are commended through the, genera- through the generations as we praise the Lord in the presence of our children. I love this story. Acts 16, because it just keeps getting better and better. Not only do the prisoners lose their shackles, not only does the jailer receive Christ that day, but it says in Acts 16.33, the jailer's whole family receives Christ. It says his wife, his kids, his whole house were baptized. And talk about generational impact. Talk about one generation commending the works to another. You see, church, our kids, they're always watching. Watching everything we do. They hear every word we say, I know this to be a fact based on what comes out of my son's mouth sometimes. Our kids are listening to every song we sing. Parents, grandparents, what song are your children hearing you sing? Do your children and grandchildren hear passionate, heartfelt praise to the Lord? What song are we singing? Our praise has generational impact. So we see what happens when we praise God. But now let's look at why God is to be praised. Why is God to be praised? As we look through this psalm, we're called to praise God when? In every season. We praise him every day because we recognize who he is. Look at the way David describes who the Lord is in Psalm 145. You're going to have to stay with me a little bit because we're just going to kind of paraphrase some of these verses. Verse 1, our God is personal. David says he is my God. It means we know his name. Our God is king, not just any king. His kingdom will never fail. It'll never end. It'll never cease to be. Verse 3, our God is great. No one and nothing compares to him. Our God is unsearchable. We can't fathom the magnitude of who he is. Verse four, our God is active. This means that our God is at work. Stories of his power have been told since the beginning of his time. Since, not the beginning of God's time, excuse me, the beginning of our time. Verse five, our God is glorious. Verse seven, Our God is good, he is righteous. Verse eight, our God is gracious, he's merciful, he is love. Verse 11, our God reigns, 13. Our God is everlasting, verse 14. Our God is faithful, he lifts up the broken. He upholds the humble. Verse 15, our God supplies. And verse 16, our God is generous, And he satisfies. Verse 17, our God is kind. 18, our God is near. Our God is omniscient. Verse 19, our God is 
listening. Again, even if I don't see it, even if I don't feel it, our God is listening. Our God saves. Verse 20, our God is a protector. He does what is right. He is just. And so because of who my God is, because of who he is, look at verse 21. It says, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. These aren't a bunch of circumstances that we're in. This isn't a life situation, and at the very end we say, man, thanks God for getting me out of that one. Because of who my God is, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. About two years ago now, my mom took my dad in to the ER because he was having some chest pains uh, and thought that he might be showing some signs of a heart attack. It was my birthday. Um, I actually didn't remember this until my mom reminded me of this. Uh, it was my birthday. I was turning 33, or I had turned 33. Me and Max were driving around, just killing some time. Um, and so I asked Max, hey, do you want to just go and visit Grandma and Grandpa up at the hospital? Not thinking that much was, was really wrong. Maybe he was having a, a heart attack, but sounds like it's in the beginning, and uh, I'm sure everything will be fine. So we're there about 20 to 30 minutes talking with my parents, and uh, with my family, we don't really do um, pain. We don't really uh, talk about our feelings a whole lot. So naturally for our family, uh, we like to make jokes and uh, make light of situations. Um, and so that's what we're doing. We're cracking jokes, and the doctor came in and said, we don't see uh, any issues, but we want to take one more scan. So that's what they do. Uh, they take one more scan of his body. We wait about another hour. We laughed a lot more. Uh, we're thinking everything is great at this point because they don't see anything. Uh, but then the doctor comes back in. And uh, I remember me and my mom, uh, my dad might have been talking to us as well in this moment, but I remember me and my mom facing each other, having whatever conversation. The doctor comes in, start, he sits down and starts talking with my dad. And my mom hears the doctor say, Mr. Jones, we found a mass on your kidney. And I remember the look on my mom's face. These are just moments that you don't forget in life. I remember the look on my mom's face because she instantly put a wall up with me and she stopped looking, or she stopped looking at me and instantly turns to the conversation that is happening with my dad. And I remember in that moment um, feeling like God had, or that this doctor, excuse me, had just sentenced my dad to death. We found a mass on your kidney. Uh, they actually found spots in his lungs. And so the cancer, he had said, we believe you have stage four ca cancer that has metastasized into your lungs. Um, this news broke us. You know, for me and Max to just drive up there thinking, let's just go sit with grandma and grandpa. Um, we've never really had anything in our family huge happen to, to anybody, and this was a wake-up call for us. And I remember, I just, I'll never forget that, that picture of my mom not talking to me, not listening to me, and just listening to the doctor very intently. We had a choice at this moment in our lives. 
We can either continuing, we can either continue worshiping the Lord or we can fall away from him and become very bitter, very angry at why God would allow this to happen to my dad. I struggled for probably two months every day at work. I remember a retreat that I was even on uh, for student ministry here at Woodside. And I remember just trying to do my job, trying to like bring the team in and rally the troops and give everything that I had to God. And I remember my mom calling me and just giving me updates and news getting worse and worse and worse. And those are troubling times. And I think a lot of times we think that God is calling us to just paint this smile on our face. You know, nothing's wrong. I can come into church and I can just pretend everything, I'm supposed to pretend everything is okay in my life when it's not. We're not supposed to smile because of our circumstances, but we're supposed to look up to our God and to praise him through every storm and through every trial that we have. And I'll tell you and I'll give you an update. Uh, thank, thanking the Lord of where my, my dad is today, uh, my dad started treatments immediately and is currently in remission, praise God. And um, we thank the Lord for um, every day that we have with my dad um, right now. God could have taken, he could have, he could have taken my dad, but he spared his life. But what would have happened if God did not spare my dad's life? What if he didn't heal him? What then? What are my actions supposed to be? How do I live without a dad? 35 years, I've had a dad who's there for me every day. Now what? Remember Job? Remember the story of Job? Greatest of all the people in the East. He's filthy rich. Seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. God hands everything over that belongs to Job to Satan. And a messenger comes to Job one day and tells him that his oxen and his donkeys were stolen and his servants were murdered. And while this messenger is still speaking, another messenger comes up and interrupts him and said that a fire from heaven fell and killed his sheep and more of his servants. And while he was still speaking, another messenger comes and says that while his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine, a great wind came and struck the four corners of the house, and it killed everyone. But Job 1.20 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and fell on the ground, and what? Worship the Lord. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He says, I came into this world with nothing, and I'm leaving here with nothing. What a posture. This posture says that everything I have comes from God. And at any moment, God can just take it all back. It's okay. Why? Because his praise is not dependent 
on his circumstances. They're dependent on the goodness of God. Paul lost it all. God allows so much to happen to Job, and yet Job still worships the Lord. He still believed that God is good, that God is love. How can this be? Because he knew that it wasn't the end of the story. The end of the story ultimately leads to an empty tomb in Jerusalem. We can know God is good because he sent his son to live among us. And we can know God is love because he proved it through the cross. And we can know that God is faithful because he rose Jesus from the grave. Brothers and sisters, how are we teaching our children? Your family, your coworker, about God's mighty acts. How are you praising God through your brokenness, through your financial struggles, through your sickness, through your loss? For some of us in this room, you're like Paul. You're in a season like Paul. You've walked through some extremely tough times in your life, and you stand here today testifying of the goodness of God with answered prayers. And for others, possibly many in this room, you're in Job's shoes, where your current situation doesn't seem to have good outcome or it's resolved or maybe you even feel like you've lost it all this morning. Friends, what's your praise dependent on? What's our praise dependent on? The world is watching. Our families are watching. How will you respond this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just feel like this is an encouraging message this morning. It's also a challenging message this morning. I know the feeling of not wanting to praise you. I know the feeling of questioning why. I know the feeling of feeling like I'm alone. And God, I just want to extend a prayer for anybody in this room who is number one in this situation like the jailer is. They're done in life, they're scared, they feel alone. They're at the end, they don't know where to turn, they don't know who to talk to. And I just pray that the church today would step up in big ways. I pray that we would not be scared just to initiate a conversation or to encourage someone. I pray that as we sing in church, that we would sing it, that we would sing it loudly and boldly with purpose, with confidence, knowing who you are. It's not about my circumstances. It's not about what's going on in my life. 
We praise you because of who you are. And so God, this morning, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you listen to us. God, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, we know that you're good. And I pray that we would stand this morning and testify of who you are. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.